Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here. New week, new book review. We're continuing our unbroken, well, for now, unbroken streak, Ryan, of reviewing some Penguin classics. Yep. Unbroken, number 12, looking for less technical difficulties than last week, I think. Uh, the fewer, the better, though we already started with some, so let's see where this train ride <laughs> takes us. It's a rocky road. It's a... Uh... It's a treacherous, treacherous road we're walking down here. Yeah, yeah, we're in, as usual, pretty dangerous territory. (laughs) Thankfully, we have a guide this week, an escort through the dangerous territories of politics and friendship, and that is Baltazar, Baltasar Gracian, uh, my Spanish... My Spanish is dead. I stopped (laughs) speaking it when I stopped studying it in college, and I don't know how to pronounce uh, accents properly. You know, all that, it's all, it's gone. So I'm not sure if that's... I think that was pretty good. The uh, the tilde over the a or the a, Gracian, Gracian, Gracian. Yes, Baltazar is our guide for this week. He has a book here, a collection that Penguin has deemed how to use your enemies. Though in your quick review, which let's throw to that in a second, I think there could be a retitling in order. Um, it is a short collection of maxims or aphorisms. We did an episode a lot like this on a, a Nietzsche collection. Uh, I think yep. that was episode five or six, somewhere around there. Somewhere and around we're, there. We're back with an extremely similar reading collection. Um, why don't you go ahead and start us then? What's your short review of this uh, Penguin Classic? I got through this one and I thought I didn't get, you know, there's some stuff about using, you know, different types of things to get what you want but i didn't get a lot of um like using of the enemies Uh, so i was i was thinking about just retitling it like how to use everyone i thought this was just like a pretty good general life guide for um you know little things that you can do to better yourself and um it kind of read like 17th century, 16th century, like life hacks. That was kind of, that was kind of the vibe I got. Yeah. I didn't count them, but we could easily retitle this to the 101 habits of highly effective rulers or princes or something. It's sort of the, you know, it's the 17th century equivalent of that. I'm not sure if this guy published it in his lifetime. I know you mentioned before we recorded that you looked at his Wikipedia page. I did not, did not Google him at all during the reading. I think the lessons and the messages were clear enough though, you know, historical context is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it does strike me very much as a, a handier guide. My review, uh, short reviews and intro is pretty much the same or it's similar. I found that his maxims had a lot more purpose than Nietzsche's, which um, we always jump ahead to the spoilers for the scoring, but that, that might not be a, a good thing. Actually, it, it's sort of, it's way more goal driven. This feels like way more purpose oriented. It seems like at least the way Penguin organized this collection, it just has a, a clearer like theme to it. And it is united around very similar messages throughout. So it's kind of more coherent. Yeah, um, I got that. I also thought that it was um, like really easy to apply to, I don't know about you, but like things in my own life. Like it was really easy to be like, oh yeah, like here's a, here's a situation where 
I can totally see how what he's saying makes sense. And uh, sometimes too easy. Exactly. I yeah. I, th- I think you said that, you know, some of the stuff that were was in here hit pretty close to home. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a testament to, to the writing and to, to Baltazar himself. I mean, he wrote this, you know, 1600 something and it's um, super easy to relate to still. So I think the way they put the collection together is pretty solid. I think whatever in 2019, there's the the kind of I don't even think this is like an internet slang term, more of just a cultural term of like I feel seen is kind of a representation mm-hmm. quote, like oh yes, this this thing, this media, this whatever literature represents yeah. me, shows who I am. Yeah, that's this a big is one. like whatever the version of that. I don't know if there's a version of that expression that means I feel seen and stop looking at me though. Like <laughs> stop seeing me. Like I, I don't feel want, seen, but it's making me slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, like peered into. I feel like that would be a pretty quick review of this one for me. That's for a long, for a I large think, part of it. I think that's something that we can start on the stumped instead of I feel seen. We can start saying I feel peered into. I feel like that's. That's got a lot. That's got a better ring to it. Yeah, I feel gazed at. I, <laughs> I feel, yeah, gazed at, or yes, exactly, just peered inside of. Yeah, it was at times uncomfortable. I wrote here also for the quick review that it, kill him with kindness. That cliche slash phrase, however, I think that's a cliche by now. Um, mm-hmm. It honestly, if he didn't originate that phrase, I again didn't bother to research it. That's we're just not an investigative pod here at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's not our role, I think. Yeah, but, there's no back end research happening. Yeah, or not not a lot, not a lot. But not if this fr- if this phrase did not originate with him, that would stun me. I don't know who would have pre predated that. Maybe Jesus, I guess. I don't. I don't know. Like Quite maybe possible. that's like. A, yeah, yeah it's, it's maybe Jesus. entirely possible. <laughs> but he should have had a tattooed because that would be my quick review of his re- reviews or his like advice would be that. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a pretty solid thing. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like you don't get like how to use your enemies. I expected there to be like so much more like cunning guile, like it's like trap setting. But this is all just kind of like, man, just try and be a good person and everything's going to work out for you. And that's like. That's sort of the vibe I got. So, yeah, definitely. Was, was surprised. Was surprised in a good way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to start us off with any quotes? Anything jump out to you? Um, yeah, there was a there was a couple. Actually, there was a lot that jumped out to me. I thought that there was like one or two really good sentences, almost in like basically every little maxim that is probably like a half a page. So I thought there was almost you know there's something notable at least for me on like every other page, which again speaks pretty highly to this um, body of work. But I, <laughs> I pulled the, I knew I was going to like this book when I open up the first page and the first three sentences are in your affairs, create suspense, admiration at their novelty means respect for your success. It's neither useful nor pleasurable to show all your cards. That is, I just thought was pretty sage, pretty smart. And I knew that from that moment on, it was just going to be, you know, you know, just like a, it's like a solid, solid group of maxims. Restraint is certainly something he values and prizes maybe as a trait above most other things. And that, yeah, that quote is a great tone setter and kind of like message idea setter for the rest of it. Just because he at any moment that can, if he can advocate for restraint or self-control, 
and moderation, he will do it. And so, yeah, yeah that, that's a good yeah. quote. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, yeah, what was uh, what was one that you pulled? Let's see. I do have. Um, I'm take, taking a break off of uh, social media connections this week, so to speak. But I do have a cultural connection um, that's not so perfectly relevant in 2019. But it's from the show Scrubs, the sitcom, sure. uh, which I, I mean, I watched that in high school a lot. And sure. I think I've revisited it since then. It's kind of one of those easy to watch, go back to sitcoms. There is a character in that show, um, the chief of medicine for a while, an older character who was just a grump. That was his reputation. And there's a quote that Balthazar had about dealing with people whose inclination is to say no. And he just says, there are others whose first word on every occasion is no. With these people, you need real skill. And so it reminded me of an episode of that show when they, it's a yearly thing after his anniversary dinner night, he's like much easier to get along with and you can request things from him mm. and the, the character in the show. And so yep, it just reminded sure. me of, uh, you know, you have to strike people at the right moment, wait for your opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, wow. That's a, that's a deep scrubs reference. I'm, uh, I'm hoping someone out there picks up on that and has something to say about it. This is a scrubs podcast now. It's uh, episode one. We're going to be reviewing JD Comes to Town. I don't know. I don't know what the first. (laughs) (laughs) JD Comes to Town. I I think that if if that's actually the first episode, it wouldn't shock me. Hold on. Oh, man. If it's not, maybe it should. Hold on. Now I have to look that up. Uh, Pause pause the entire podcast. Uh, JD rides into town. (laughs) Uh, Here, let's see. Welcome, JD. Um, Oh. Close. It's my first day, uh, but still, um, pretty close. Not bad. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I, I like. I like yours better. I didn't know uh, it'd be in the first person. That's hard to. I wouldn't have predicted that the episode titles are in first person. Hey, you know, learn something new every day. I would not have predicted that either. Wow. Yeah. There was a, actually there was a whole nother. Your quote kind of reminds me of a different part that I liked. I think a lot of these, like for some reason, I related a lot of these to like work. And there was one that was basically like getting ahead at your job. And it basically was that exact thing. It's like, make yourself indispensable, but then also know when to, know when to ask like the, like your, um, not like your boss, but like your, uh, what am I trying to say? Like your, the person in the position above you, like you got to know when to get what you need out of those people. Like that was another, that was another one I thought was pretty good. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think the back cover or somewhere I saw, this is like a reference manual for a kind of rulers, princes, people in the 1600s, 1700s that would have had, you know, power in a medieval era, you know, mm-hmm. Renaissance type era, houses, families, things like that. And so a lot of it does read sort of from that perspective and the yeah. quote I pulled about work was, uh, understand what different jobs entail. They're all different and you need great knowledge and observations here, which is the first half of the quote, which I think is helpful. There's nothing more frustrating than working for a person, especially I'm thinking of a boss, but mm-hmm. um, who just clearly does not understand the mechanics of the jobs that they manage over. Oh, it yeah. is just so out of touch with the actual simple labors like structure routines the work that goes into it sure and it just exposes itself so badly there's just nothing more awkward than that Mm -hmm. yeah i've had a couple of those and it's yeah truly the worst i think a lot of 
you know, creatives or maybe you're thinking about like principals or teachers that you've worked with or under, but I feel like with my job and like things that you do, whether it's like a trade or a skill, often the people that are making the decisions above you, like you're reporting to a CEO or something, the CEO has no idea, you know, about design or things like that, or putting things together that actually, you know, like the handiwork that goes into it. Um, And that's ultimately super frustrating. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't want to dictate uh, workflow and schedules on this podcast, but there just has to be a a greater knowledge than, you know, 10% or something like that. It's, there are some moments in my current work where there's just profound disconnect between, Hey, do this. And like what it can actually get accomplished. And that's just never a good sign. That's uh, that's always a negative sign that things are, (laughs) things are mis being maybe mismanaged in a way. Yep. Yep. The other half of the quote was far more brutal, I think, for a personal connection. We alluded to this earlier. When yeah. I read this, I think my heart seized up and I was getting my <laughs> I was getting work done in my car and I just yeah. about fucking ran away for, and just left my car there because I read this and I think I pretty much threw the book on the ground. Just ditched the car. Yeah. This is the other half of his quote about work on page 19. I, although yeah. I cut part of it, but this is what basically what it says. Yeah. A, a job that demands complete dedication has fixed hours and is repetitive is intolerable. Better is one which is free from boredom and which combines variety and importance because change is refreshing. I mean, oh, man. I can think of no yeah. job that I've ever had more than my own. I've had repetitive, boring jobs in the past, but it's the complete dedication part that kills me because i do have to sit there and just stare when i'm doing tutoring and just stare at the kids and like wait for them to finish i can't like you know when i had warehouse jobs you get five ten minutes there where you just space out or listen to music or whatever and this is one where nope i I can't read i can't do anything and there's no you like you can't go on your phone so i'm just staring just waiting for them to finish something that i already know what they did um yeah, labor's really changed a lot in 400 years since this <laughs> since this was written. I would say that describes yeah. like most jobs. Uh, oh, well, man. yeah, yeah. I think that's what makes it so relatable is that like the, those first three things that he talks about in the second part of that quote: a job that demands complete dedication, fixed hours, and it and is repetitive. Like all those things make it intolerable. Man, that's like a ton of jobs that's the industrial revolution i think might have damn near killed balthazar might have given him a heart attack (laughs) we'll have to we'll have to do some research on the back end too but maybe that's the year he died uh who knows man who knows i think 17th century he was dead pretty pretty not not that long before it hit england in the 1700s yeah no he died 1858 i think he uh he he just made it out before he saw the world completely fall apart in front of his eyes yeah, he would have had a hard time transitioning to that world. He would have slapped Henry Ford across the face. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I, uh, I could. That's a that's a nice little visual there. Even yeah. though I have no idea what this dude looks like, probably, yeah, just, you know, probably pretty. Actually, I have no idea what he even did when he was alive. I don't know if I think he, he was, was a priest. A, uh, it said oh, it's a priest. Okay, well, probably a pretty pretty clean cut dude. His name suggests otherwise, but yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that quote just about gave me heart palpitations. Uh, that was a tough one to read. I can pull. I did pull one other quote that uh, felt like a, a real life connection in, in a sort. 
which mm-hmm. is about friendship on 34. He says, there's no desert like a life without friends. Friendship multiplies blessings and divides troubles. It's the only remedy for bad fortune and it is an oasis of comfort for the soul, which is a di- yeah, difficult one to read for people, you know, transitioning out of, I don't know, it feels like chunking ages into decades is just random, but you know, you transition into your twenties, friends move, people move away. It just is a difficult time. You know, everyone jokes about it's hard to make adult friends, which yeah, it is. It's a different social scene, different circumstances and everything. Um, I feel like many transitioning adult, uh, young adult people could probably relate to that, you know, well, you know, especially post-college, depending on your jobs and who you get set up with and that kind of thing. Yeah, that, true. Where you, you know, where you find yourself, you know, and that kind of ties in to a, another interesting sort of maxim that he had. The one that was about like your life changes every seven years and how like, well you adapt to that is like, you know, how well you're able to live your life. I'm trying to, trying to find that one. Um, he also laid out his roadmap for just a, I think the overall cycles of life, which was in the young ages, and he doesn't put years on this. And if he would have, it would be different because life expectancy then I think is, was pretty different. But he yeah. said in the first third of your life, you need to learn from the elders, like basically read a lot and study. In the second third, right. you need to travel a lot and then just like go places and see what you can or try and meet as many people as you can. And then in the yeah. final third of your life, you need to basically stay somewhere or like be calmed and try and turn your life into philosophy. I think he said like, and philosophize for the last third of your life, try and write down whatever true things, you know, which hey man, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. That sounds a uh, typical cycle. Yeah. Uh, no, this, uh, the one that I was thinking of was on page 49 and the maxim is know how to renew your character using nature and art. It says they say that our nature changes every seven years. Uh, let this improve and enhance your taste. Uh, the first seven years we gain the use of reason. Um, and then, you know, basically going on after that, it's like, you should always try and, you know, learn something different, improve yourself. But I guess that could also go into like the social, like think about friends you had seven years ago. And then even seven years before that, like, it's so rare that they're the same. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like a, that strikes me as cause Malcolm Gladwell got famous for his 10,000 hours kind of number about mastering something. It seems like a number that somebody like him, like a kind of a social scientist type guy would throw out. Like this is roughly how approximately everyone changes, you know, friends circles or social circles or something. Yeah. Seven, seven yeah. years feels, I mean, is any random number? Sure. That number feels good or accurate. Well, I mean, I was just, cl- I was just counting it out last night. Like, zero to seven sure you you know learn everything that you can about reasoning and whatever and then seven to 14 14 21 end of college 28 you're somewhere else 35 you're considered you know like a real adult maybe you have a kid 42 it's like any <laughs> the one thing that i thought was pretty funny is he compared them all to animals so he said at 20, a person is a peacock, at 30, a lion, at 40, a camel, at 50, a snake, at 60, a dog, at 70, a monkey, and at 80, nothing. I don't remember a, that at all. That's a good quote on, or an intriguing on, one. Yeah, it's on page 50. I, um, I marked that one, um, but I didn't put it in my, the quotes that I pulled. But I thought that was a really, I thought that was a really interesting one. And that, <laughs> that 81, man, nothing. Ouch. 
I mean, in his time, that he wasn't that wrong, uh, based uh, on yeah. how medical care would have been then. I think at that yeah. point, you would have been basically catatonic if you were alive, if not yeah. just disease-stricken. Yeah, maybe that's, that's why at 70, you become a monkey. I think I would I would imagine that the monkey would come earlier on in life, but yeah, 70, if you're, you're 70 years old and 16-something, like, you're probably pretty weird or something's <laughs> something weird's going on if you're if, living that long. If he doesn't provide backup or follow-ups to those uh, applications, to those designations, that's just downright like astrological and it's kind of randomness. Like that's just, he's just saying, he's just saying animals at that point. Like, yeah, a monkey at 80, <laughs> meaning you're the most foolish and like energetic and like outgoing like or what? Or- well, I don't, yeah, that one that, that yeah, doesn't make so much sense when you really dig into it. But I think that's a dynamite segue to uh, Kenko last week. That's almost like a Kenko type of um, idea or like a thought. I Yeah, the, the connections, we can jump there. The author to author section, this is where we take our last week's review and reading and then try and find connections and threads to this week's. So last week was a collection by a Japanese monk, Kenko, from a long time. I think it was like ninth century or something. It was a long time ago. I think old. it was quite a, quite a bit older. Yeah. And so what was the connection you're saying? Just in terms I was, of... I was just saying like that's, that, that was probably one of the... I mean, there are other quotes, but um, in this book that I thought, you know, were had similarities with... Kenko's, but I, I, for some reason, that just made me think about it. It's like a zodiac type, um, but it's also like a lot of a lot of the thoughts in these maxims. Like he go on, he goes on to back it up and like basically explain it quite well. And this was one of the only ones that just like he just let that one sit. Like there was no, <laughs> there's no explanation for the for the animal comparisons. I can picture him in some kind of current like sitcom or TV show, if he was in a classroom and said that, the teacher just saying, no no follow-up from that there? Balthazar, you're not going to, no? Okay, you don't want to expand? <laughs> it's like, no, 80, nothing. There's No, yeah. there's nothing. That's uh, that's all you wrote in your paper, was you just wrote a bunch of numbers <laughs> and uh, animal names. You didn't even explain. Uh, the rest of your essay, the rest of your paper is just blank. It's just incoherent. Uh, these are just you drew pictures, and that's it. I don't. I don't know what you want me to. How do? Can I grade this? Yeah. I asked you to write me about your summer. Tell me how your summer was. And this is you submitted this number and animal, it's, you know, indecipherable symbology chart. Yeah, this is what you give me. Uh, but anyways, I don't think that really summarizes or you know, like really relates to any of the rest of the ideas or thoughts in this book. Um, for some reason, like when you, I was thinking about the author to author, I was thinking about, cause a lot of what he says in this one kind of reminds me of things that like our grandpa would say, or like l- advice that he might give, you know, he's like the, like man of the family, kind of like solid, just good, solid advice. And it, like, it, I was thinking about the author to author and it was like, Kenko is kind of like that like fun aunt or uncle at like your Thanksgiving who just like, you know, drinks a cup of sake and or whatever and just kind of rambles on about like thoughts, things of the past, like ruminations. Whereas Baltazar was sort of like the grandfather, like grandmother figure who talks about 
like anticipation or like what you can do moving forward instead of like thinking back about like, you know, reminiscing on like other things. It's odd though, how similar the advice seems in the end, I guess in your analogy, you know, from both of those types of family members, those archetypes or something, but in, yeah. And from these two, it advice ends up flattening out to be kind of the same. They're both just saying, avoid, avoid over celebrating what you have right now. There's no promises for tomorrow. Like live, don't, don't make predictions, just enjoy what you have, make decisions based on where you are now. I think, I think Kenko was much more aggressive about saying like, it'd be really foolish to think of the future. I think there are more moments when, yeah, Balthazar gives more specific advice about how to treat with people and how to try and plan ahead. He also has a section there's that classic thing about how in the summer, you know, it's like a phrase at this point or some kind of idiom or something, but how in the summer months when you can like harvest, you should harvest for the prepare for the winter, basically like, you know, use the good times to prepare for the hard times. And he has a whole, he has a whole section basically explaining that. I don't think chunk of the book where he talks about those types of things. I don't think Kenko would come out with anything quite so specific. He, I think would throw it up to the universe a bit more and just, attribute some things to randomness but no it it does end up feeling pretty similar i agree though that i would enjoy their company a lot at a dinner party i just imagine my connection was just that i think kenko would be a better you know during dinner pre-dinner drinks and then post-dinner if you wanted to sit down for some kind of you know more introspection or if you're trying to you know have a drink and and think about things i don't know and think about ramifications. I think that's your, that's when Balthazar would step in, give some life advice. Yeah. Some, yeah. Kind of, uh, settle it down and get serious. Maybe after reading your author to author that like, that's where I went with what I was thinking about, because it is like the, a lot of the thoughts end up being quite similar. It's like, you're at the same like family function. Like everyone, but there's like the two people that you're talking to possibly just have like a little bit, slightly different takes, but they're coming from like basically the same place. Yeah, they they certainly have a a lineage in the same kind of ideas, I think, at least at their core. The presentation between both is quite different, far different styles. And yeah, Balthazar is just too, too practical, too much or so much more practical comparatively speaking, but they, I think, end up in kind of a similar ending point. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Both think, you know, predictions are for fools and that you can't, you know, assume your fortunes will not turn. And in fact, I I know Baltazar, I guess it's just more, it's fresher in my memory, but he definitely says you'll go through cycles and you're, you're never going to stay up. You know, you can go down as easily as you got up to your, you know, success. Oh, yeah, yeah. When things are good, the only thing that you should really be thinking about is like the one, you know, something that's going to go wrong because that's inevitable you know that's uh he spent a good uh, some some pages talking about you know those types of ideas in the summer try and try and harvest and prepare for the winter and like you know you can apply that all over the place yeah definitely in your life that wave just uh prepare yourself because it's going to come crashing down at some point did you find then his advice in this collection of his maxims to be worthy of a three rating? Dude, I did. I did. And I checked just now and that's three, three 
rate star ratings, three stump ratings in a row. I am I'm in the middle of a uh, a sweet streak. I thought this was just as good, uh, if not slightly better than Kenko and Whitman. It is, you know, it's it's kind of interesting when you look back and you th- like think of the last few and sort of how they relate to, to each other. I don't know. I thought this stood up just as well, and I enjoyed this just as much as I enjoyed those other two. And after I finished the book, I actually did Google him, and it was funny, like thinking about the author to author. There's there's a critical reception uh, page on his Wikipedia where they talk about like Nietzsche was one of his like biggest, uh, he was like, <laughs> he's like a big fan. And he said, um, of like the oraculo, that was basically what they pulled a lot of these maxims from. It was the, um, the pocket Oracle and art of prudence. Uh, he said, Europe has never produced anything finer or more complicated in matters of moral subtlety, which I thought was a pretty, you know, that's high praise coming from, coming from our dude. Hmm. I think so. Yeah. And I, for the, and it could just be the way Penguin sliced these, you know, collections and kind of spliced them together from their yeah. larger works. But I, I did find this one to be, cause I know that quote mentions his moral kind of subtleties. This book has some of that, but I went with a two because I didn't, because of the lack of that, I suppose, in a way, which is odd. Cause I like Nietzsche's collection. I gave that a three. I remember that just because I felt it was at times contradictory and had more kind of provocative poking thoughts that I thought stabbed a little, I don't know, stabbed a little deeper. I don't know why I'm using a violent metaphor for that, but um, the Balthazar stuff did, I I thought at least a few of them became a little repetitive, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, he does have subtleties and there are some slight differences, but I really think I came away thinking, you know, you could probably take, a good third of these and condense them. Not that, you know, I would have, cause again, there are, there are some slight differences. He's giving layers of advice to the similar problems, or at least layering on different kind of situations or different examples onto similar endpoints or different, you know, ending yep. pieces of advice. Uh, but I did go with a two and I, you know, this one might be one I come to regret later. I think if this, if you're looking for, a sort of practical guide to just navigating the world or having power or not. This is excellent. Yeah. I mean, I, it's really clear, very interesting thoughts, plenty to consider and easy to read, frankly. I mean, really, you know, smooth moving. I, I do have to agree. I did make a note that like some of the stuff in here is like this, just the slightest bit repetitive, but I thought each, each one was a little bit, uh, I found, you know, each of them just interesting enough to kind of differentiate themselves, even though, you know, I did pick up on the repetitiousness, uh, at least one time. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta, you gotta avoid that repetitiousness. Uh, if you can. Repetitiousness. <laughs> yeah. We're coining phrases here, people. Put it on is a t-shirt. A real, is that a real word? Uh, no. Repetition is though repetitiousness that's that's the pinterest word of the week i could not let this episode end without dropping another pinterest bomb sponsors come through (laughs) because that's that is how we cash in on the book reviews on the on the stump one at gmail.com pinterest holler at us this uh i actually did make a note i wasn't actually going to bring that up until just now uh but i thought this was this book was full of pinterest quotes too so if that's your thing that's it's a three. Pick it up. 
if you're on Pinterest, if you're if you're on yeah. Pinterest, you need to read this book. If your if your personality and internet interest Venn diagrams have led you to this podcast, and you are the person who obsessively does Pinterest and listens to this, whoever you are, then yes, this is a gold mine. I thought we'd give it a rest this week, though. You know, we're always trying to come up with new quote categories. Uh, you know. And try and show yeah. more respect to classic sitcoms, of course. I mean, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, more scrubs, less uh, less internet uh, internet stuff, more TV yeah. stuff. Maybe that's uh, that's for next week. Which uh, I'm checking that out now, and it's looking like John Keats. The Eve yeah, of man. Agnes. Are you ready? You ever had to read Keats uh, before? Never. Oh, motherfuck! It's <laughs> well, uh, it's good that you're starting with only fifty pages. Oh man! All right. Well, yeah, this will be a good one. <laughs> what a way to end that one. That's uh, that just took all the wind out of my out of my sails. I mean, if you're ready for this, is antithesis of Walt Whitman poetry, man. This is like, well, that was uh, yeah. that was pretty good. No, no, antithesis of. I mean, this oh, is like, this is about as formal and English as it gets. Well, fucking a. That's uh, that's what we get to look forward to. I'm gonna go and pick that up right now and yeah. uh, see how <laughs> see how bad it is or good. Could be. Uh, I think it'll give us plenty to talk about, and that's you know you can't really ask for much more for a podcast book than that. I don't think you'll come away with it with no thoughts. That would be that would shock me. Well, it might not be a three in your eyes, you know, in your in your ultimate judgment. I guess well, we'll see. You know, could win me, you know. You never know. I guess you know you'll just have to tune in next week. Yeah, great contrast. Mm. Let's um, let's close. I did pull. I, you just had me thinking Pinterest wise. I did have one final quote and category that I have to say, just because we haven't done a we haven't done a quote for this audience yet, and I know our listeners. So many social media platforms. You're trying to keep up. You're trying to influence. We get it. Yep. This one I think would be good for Facebook. I feel like this has become its own political kind of meme or like in joke. It's people who think like left, left side, left aisle, and right aisle people are idiots, and they're like the enlightened people in the middle who know all the truths about the world. Okay. You know, it's like everybody's a fool, but I know what I'm doing. There's a quote on 18. Uh, one of his maxims is half of the world is laughing at the other half and all are fools. Either everything is good or everything is bad, depending on people's opinions. So mm. I think that one, you slap that on a picture of Abraham Lincoln and then put it on Facebook, you're good to go. <laughs> Man, we're pivoting to political, politically charged Facebook. I'm going to yep. follow that up, that quote with a quote, which I think Baltazar, he probably would appreciate, and it's on page 30. Uh, Someone who refuses to listen is an incurable fool. I, I, really, oh, yeah. I really like that one. And let's slap uh, <laughs> Slap that one on a picture of Frederick Douglass and fucking call it a meme, man. Just put that right on your Facebook page. Okay, man. That's that's it. That's going up on the Pinterest board. Or uh maybe we yeah, maybe we create the stumped Facebook account and we just we just start going in. We could go in with some of these. It might be time. We could put some truthful quotes into this world. I mean, so many of them are just misattributed quotes with historical figures, so like old pictures pasted on them. But we yeah, could, yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's right, man. We gotta love. You yeah. gotta love taking the shots you always miss, or I forget what it is. <laughs> yeah, is uh, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, uh, Baltazar Gracian? Who knows? Could have been any of them. Yeah, they're all ballers in their own way. In their own right. 
All right. Well, look forward to some Keats next week. We got John Keats, The Eve of St. Agnes coming up. That is one of the poems. I think there's about four poems in there. They're on the lengthier side. So, you know, buckle in for that. Make sure you take some like Adderall or get caffeinated before you read. And Ryan, you want to take us out? And uh, in the meantime, we'll see you between the classics. 